Oh, welcome to another episode of Tigers SRD here at MotorCityBangles.com and the Tiger Minor Report Network. I'm Rohedo Casillo. Alongside me is Chris Brown and Youper with me, usual Thursday evening crew. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Art Media, and Stitchler. And if you can, please uh, give us a review. It's been, been a while. And also we have our Patreon. We had a couple of subscribers to pick up, and I'll tell you how that happened if you're not a regular if you're a regular listener here in a second. So our Patreon is uh, Tigers SRD. Thank you to Corey, who is a writer over at Vice, who subscribed to us. And I was on the, the hook. Thank you to Tom Mazaway. I was on the hook on Tuesday, and I was with Leah and Darren McCarty, former Ribbling, and they gave the opportunity to – talk about the Tigers and the whole state of situation and hold back. It was the unedited version of myself. I got to swear, which I don't, I don't swear on this podcast because we have a lot of people who prefer us not to. And I like the fans and, you know, quite frankly, I think it's, it's easier to swear than not to swear. <laughs> it was especially with the Tigers today, a game like today where it was just a total giant crap show, but either way, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun and I got to, I got to wear my Tim Raines jersey on camera, so I got the old wear the old Expos jersey, and so it's a lot uh, of fun. Yeah, it, you did a great job on that. That was really it was enjoyable to to watch you on there, and hopefully, I think they said that hopefully they'll have you on again because uh, I I don't know you did a good oh, job. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was good to be on camera, and I'm I'm always self conscious because of my weight and all that, but it was I, at that point I don't know I was just felt confident enough to be out there, so. Uh, we're going to be doing a different show today, so we're going to be the normal, the normal good, bad, ugly, all the segments, and then the second half of the show, an old friend of mine who actually was one of the original hosts of the show, uh, Jason Pigham, who did a Red Wings podcast for a little while, and he's and the reason why I'm bringing him on is to talk about comparing the rebuilds because Chris Hill Jones both teams, and there's just comparison thing, and there was also there's a the Red Wings are going to come up in the inside of numbers too because I saw a tweet today and some inflated number that I haven't told you and, and what I like about the show sheet sometimes is we don't know what our good and bad and ugly are the inside of number is and sometimes we do cross paths in this mm-hmm. case you this in number I'm going to give you because I think you're a pretty smart guy and I know you I actually correction I know you're a smart guy <laughs> but the <laughs> number I'm going to give you you're going to what I'm going to read to you you're going to be kind of in shock about it so okay but uh let's go into what happened today the Tigers lose 10 to 9 in Boston, and that was one of those games where Actually, I, I 12, 12 9. 12 9, sorry, so 12 yeah. 9, sorry, 12 9. And the, the the tweet that I saw that cracked me up was Scott Bentley <laughs> and the Bentley show. He said, If you allow 10 runs to the Tigers, you should be relegated back to AAA. <sighs> yeah, I mean, that's uh, <laughs> the way they've been looking this year. Yeah, I, I, uh, I will say, you know, I didn't think Boston's pitching. I, th- I feel like Boston's pitching is kind of the weak point on their, their team this year. But by the numbers, they look pretty good. Or at least they did coming into the series. But the Tigers did actually finally show some life on offense. So if there's something to point toward, maybe there's that. But, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, they, they've, they've scored over seven runs three times this year. And, I, I you know, <laughs> twice they lost. They pieced together some singles today. I mean, they they they... They managed to um, get us. They se- they sequenced them up, and they produced some runs with singles. I think they had two extra base hits out of their fourteen today. Um, so they found some grass and put some runs on the board. And it's one of those days where their pitching fell apart too. So, uh, I, but in, in the end, I guess it's good to see them put some runs up. They had four more errors, 
Yeah, Candelario too. My goodness. Yeah, but the the error that I found strange was almost Gregory Soto setting up a pick for Candelario there, and, and you could you could look at Candelario does not get. I mean, he is, usually has the same kind of expression on his face, but he looked <laughs> pissed at Soto like, dude, that was my well, ball. You know, it's funny watching Soto. He seems like a guy who's just so amped up, like eager to. Like we keep hearing them talk about how he really, really, really wants the closer's job. And you see him out there and there's, you know, these ground balls in the infield. It happened uh, on Wednesday night too. He's just like, going after every ball and, and it's just like, you know, he's falling down and slipping everywhere. And it's just like, yeah. just just settle down and relax. Let your fielders do the work. Yeah. It's not like little league where you have to do all the work and yeah, the offense, it, but even Spencer Turnbull looked a little rough today. Three innings, seven hits, four runs, two, uh, four runs, two of them earned because of the errors, and three three strikeouts, and hit two batters too. Yeah, that's right, and he controlled some, showed some uh, wildness there, and I, I was kind of surprised by that. Another takeaway I had for this game is that, in terms of, and this was a conversation that came up in our Discord channel. So if you're not, if you are on Discord, check out, go to Tigers Chat, and there's just a bunch of. It's it's a community, a small community right now. I'm not gonna lie, but it's a community that's growing, and so that's one of those things that you should be able to just come in, talk tigers, and th- th- there you go. So the, the biggest takeaway I had from that today was is that Candelario, despite having struggles, looks like he's back in the form. He's hitting 298 and looked pretty well. So you got to put that as I mean, again, we're looking for grasping for straws here, ladies and gentlemen. But at the same time. It is. There was some sort of progress with that. Yeah, he hit the big home run. Yeah, last night. You know, building off of last year, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago. He had a nice run in a short season, and it it was important that if he is going to be part of the future, that he kind of came back this year and showed that that wasn't just a short season fluke. And I like his approach. Uh, he was hitting mostly singles early on. Now he's starting to hit the ball a little harder, it seems like, as the weather warms up. Um, it's a good sign. It really is. I mean, uh, again, that's one guy for a lineup. So now they got a lot of spots to go. But it'd be really nice if he established himself and became the guy who bats fifth or sixth in a, in a contending lineup. Yeah, and it was why it was such a debate in this course whether they should extend him or not. Go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. Oh, nothing. Uh, yeah, it just. Uh, oh, uh, we we've often said that Canelario is the the most consistent hitter on the team, and he was going through a little rough stuff, uh, rough stretch. But yeah, he's he's looking like he did last year. Uh, he's had a little less extra base power so far, but he's a quality quality hitter. And uh, yeah, once if he, he gets going, maybe you can get uh, Jonathan Scope going eventually, and, and you got something. Maybe Jacoby Jones was getting some hits over the, the the last few games. He had a terrible defensive play today, but uh, you know, hey, can't win them all. No, you can't. And it's it, one of those things too, where there was that play earlier. Well, you you tweeted out Chris about him and kind of lagging up on the outfield. Yeah, the uh, yeah. Kirk Gibson was uh, <laughs> very upset about him. He basically, it looked like he had a chance to catch the ball, but let it drop in front of him. And then just absolutely airmailed the cutoff man to let JD Martinez, or no, I don't know. It was Xander Bogarts. I don't remember who it was, but it was, 
you know, let them get to second base, which is just, I don't, I always feel like there's, there's like two types of outfielders. There are the, uh, the outfielders who know that they should hit the cutoff man and do it. And the outfielders who know they should hit the cutoff man, but when they get to the ball, they go, Oh man, I can throw them out. <laughs> they just try it every time. I re- I saw, I saw Jose Azacar do it two plays in a row at West Michigan, just airmail a cutoff man back to back. It was like, come on, dude. <laughs> You know, you feel like you could throw everybody out, I guess. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty, pretty. Says something if you piss off Kirk Gibson, he doesn't get mad like that anymore. Yeah, not as much. I, I, yeah, it did, it did seem like I remember him. He seemed a lot more fiery when he was younger and working with Josh Lewin uh, way back in the day. He was very yeah. critical. Yeah. Well, you just wonder what the illness really does, you know. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a real bummer. Just to, I was even watching what was I was watching clip from maybe three four years ago. I think I told Roger about this where he was doing, he was the color man for is it Dick Enberg? Yeah, they brought in. You know, it was one of those games where they brought in like a Hall of Fame broadcaster because he's from Michigan, right? From Flint. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it Gibby sounded like a completely different guy. You know, he's talking much faster and and yeah, it's just it's it's sad to see. Unfortunately. I guess I just said unfortunately, but yeah, it's it's just I don't know. I don't know why I got off on this tangent now, but uh, anyway, the Tigers they lost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and for the series itself, even against a, a team like the Yankees too, or Chapman just as Chapman's been for all the struggles the Yankees' offense have had, their bullpen has been carrying them, and, and Chapman just there's no way, there's just no chance at all, but come in this series against a struggling Minnesota team who right now is under a lot of fire and Minnesota right now, outside of Brian Buxton, just seems like everything else about what's going on with them. You saw that Randy Dobek got sent back down on the minors and in terms of even their bullpen, their bullpen's a mess too. Yeah, man. Like uh, it just seems, what did, what did they, I think you, you showed us that they've been outscored 17 to one in the ninth inning, 17 to one in the ninth inning. Yep. Oh Yeah. Well, then there little things like uh, they brought up their top prospect, Kirloff, and he started one for 18, but then he went on a binge. He was hitting home runs every day, and now he's on the IL. So they just uh, they can't buy a break either. He's a friend of the show, right, Chris? Can we say he's a friend of the show? He is a friend of the show. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's uh, unfortunate. He's had some wrist issues in the past, and this one, I don't know how long it's going to keep him out. But, yeah, for the Twins, they're off to a really rough start. And they were one of the favorites in the division. And it seemed like he was giving them a little bit of a spark, just hitting the ball in the screws just about every time. And sure enough, yeah, out of, out of nowhere, sliding into second base. That's what the, you should just have a no sliding rule, feet first sliding. Yep. He's got a gorgeous swing, though. I mean, if he stays healthy, that's a guy who's going to tear up some Tiger pitching over the next few years. <laughs> yeah, probably, he probably will. Yeah, it's, uh, so one of those things where I kind of you even today and they lost to the ah, edit that later. They lost to the Texans four to three, and there's only so much Brian Buxton can do. But again, even guys like Miguel Sano, Josh Donaldson, they're not getting anything. They're not getting any type of production, and it's just it's the Tigers might catch them at a good time here. It might be a chance for the Tigers' offense to continue its. Yeah, of course, if they avoid Brian Bucks, then that'd be fine with that. But I mean, Nelson Cruz today went 0 for 4, which doesn't happen very often, but he's a giant tiger killer. 
But you know, he's still pitching pretty well. Former Toledo Mud and Caleb Savar still pitching really well. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's a guy who had like the it turned out he had kind of like the ideal uh what do you what do you want to call it? Release uh, you know, spin. Why am I forgetting things? The uh, spin efficiency and and like he's been able to maximize that with his fastball and his curveball and actually carve out a career after he was just kind of toiling away in Toledo. Yeah, they're here. So, but uh let's Let's go. Let's go into our next uh, segment here. It's time for Rogelio and Chris to go inside the numbers. All right. So, Uper, what is your inside number this week? Well, it depends on your uh, point of view. It could be three. It could be four. So you can tell me. We've had either three or four no hitters this year, depending on what you think of Ma- uh, Madison Bumgarner, seven inning no hitter. Do we have opinions on that before we start? <laughs> I, I think, I mean, if they're going to call it a complete game, right? You call it, yeah, he got credit for a shutout and a complete game. So then I, I don't see why they can't give him credit for a no hitter. You can, you can make an asterisk there that says it was seven innings. That's fine. Yeah. But yeah. okay. I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. I don't mind that point of view at all. But then the other three are, you know, John means just the other day, yesterday, uh, Carlos Rodon and Joe Musgrove. So if we have four no hitters already, on May 6th, major league record for a season is seven. 1991? Yeah. And it's been done. I think it's been done twice. Um, so, A, are we going to get there? But B, think about the environment we're in. With all these strikeouts, batting averages around baseball plummeting. I mean, just brutal everywhere. Um, uh, pitchers throwing faster and harder than ever before. Uh Gotta believe no hitters are almost gonna become a every two, three week event here if we don't watch out. I mean, do we want that? Because they're kind of uh, you know, at some point they're gonna not be as special. Yeah, you know, I I I would get a guess that we won't see it. It's I think it might just be one of those weird things where we have a bunch early and then you never know. Uh maybe we will. I don't know. I I, I picture I do picture maybe one or two more sort of team no-hitters, combined no-hitters, which are never that much fun anyway for some reason. Like, ah, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's possible. Like, you, you make good points that people aren't making a whole lot of contact these days. So <laughs> it's, it's probably easier to get a no-hitter. But this might be the easiest environment for a no-hitter since 1968, probably. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Let's see. And what's, what's fascinating about that whole entire no-hitter situation is that it's just every every hitter – Every single hitter, when you see some of these strikeouts, like the the fastballs, for example, high fastballs and everything, it's it's remarkable to me that you nobody can catch up to something like that. You see it, it's like it's not 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 hundred or hundred and one. It's just you know some of it's like ninety five, ninety six. Some of it with movement, some of it just meatballs and nothing. I don't get it. I you know some of the uh, launch angle phenomena. You know, trying to hit everything up, up, up. I mean, it, that's got to be hard uh, with the high heat. You know, to have that uppercut swing. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people say that that's the the throwing fastballs up is a response to that the uh, matching the you know launch angle. But I don't know. I mean, I just think every time we hear people talk about like, yeah, you know, back in my day, these guys they didn't try to you know 
you know, hit home runs. They were trying to put the ball and I'm like, yeah, but they were 88, man. Like people yeah. throw they're good. Now these guys are like robots. They're going into laboratories in, in changing their pitches. So they move another half a foot at the same velocity. It's just like, come on. So it's, and I don't really know what, if anything, you can do to change that at this point. I, I mean, they talk about moving the mound back and stuff like that. And I just, I don't know that you'll, you'll end up with a, a slider that breaks five feet then. Yeah. I think personally, my opinion, you got to go smaller strike zone. You got to force the pitcher to be on the plate. And I think then we're, we're going to start seeing more contact. Um, a lot of people hate it when I say that that I've talked to, but uh, that to me, make, as someone who stands behind the plate and watches kids who throw 80 and think about people who throw 98 to 100, um, I, I just think you got to be on the plate. And if you're stretching that strike zone out, that's just making it more more difficult. Yeah. yeah it, it, what makes it even more frustrating, too, in terms of my hitter standpoint, too, is the amount of, I, I guess, maybe even preparation time in terms of just regular reps, because the whole year last year threw you off. And now some of the guys like JD Martinez who are getting back in the getting using video again and those things, the routines have been thrown off. And so I think having a routine that you've known for 20 plus years in certain cases, and now it's was thrown off last year. I think that has small, small part of it too, as well, because I mean, I know they're, they're playing with the, they're doing some of the ball, right. Too. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So again, baseball smart, you know, they, they think of everything. So, but uh, Chris, what's your inside number? Uh, so mine is me getting back to my sheet. To... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> How did I, I don't even remember leaving that. Oh, you know what it's I'm I've been, we got a lot of questions and I've been trying to throw them on there. Uh, my inside, the number is 81.9. That is, uh, we all know about Miguel Cabrera's horrible slump right now. There's been a lot of uh, kind of strange commentary about that. Uh, he's hitless in his last seven games, and it's the longest stretch of his career, and it sucks a lot. Uh, but you can sort of see why, because that 81.9 is his average exit velocity during this stretch, mm-hmm. which is just not Miguel Cabrera. You know, even for all his struggles the last handful of years, it, it dropped Twenty nineteen, but not his whole career. And this year he's in the fifty second percentile. Um and it seems to me that he's just, you know, he's not healthy again. And I don't know if he ever will be healthy for any long stretch for the rest of his career or however long, you know, he keeps going. And uh, as I said, you know, we, we, we talked about it on opening day when he hit that awesome home run and it was just really fun to see him out there smiling and slide into second in the snow globe and just try to, uh, you know, remember those things because this is, this is a really, it's really tough to watch uh, this great player just to disintegrate in front of us. Yeah. No, I appreciate you looking up the numbers because I'll make a quick change. My ugly was going to be later on, Miguel oh. Cabrera, six for 61. Um, and the, the exit velocity matches up exactly what I was going to say. It looks like he's six for 61. I hate to say that. There haven't been, you know, a half a dozen rockets that have been caught. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a sad looking six for 61. And he's going to be hitting under 100 soon if he doesn't get a couple of hits in the next couple of games. Um, and it's sad to see, and I, you know, people are talking about he should retire or they should 
get rid of him because Pujols went today, you know, and I don't know. I don't see that happening, but it's, you got to hope that a run of, of um, run of some hits comes his way here soon. It'd be nice to see. Yeah, and the Pujols thing is really sad too. I don't know if one of us might have that and uh, we can talk about it later, but um, yeah. What about you, Rogelio? All right. So my inside number is a little bit, it's, it's a twofold situation right now. So I saw somebody tweet out something that I don't, not sure if exactly is correct, but it is the Twitter machine. And so sometimes people are what they are and not people what they are. It's just, there's information sometimes that's kind of like, well, there's factors to come into it. So somebody tweeted out earlier that the Red Wings, the Miguel Cabrera still owed 94 million, which is more than what the Red Wings and Tigers were paid for combined, which was 93 million. So in 1982, the Red Wings were purchased for $8 million, and today's money is $20 million. And in 1992, Mike Illich bought the team for $85 million of cash, which translates to $160 million today in today's cash. So I don't understand with TV contracts and everything and inflation and what have you, I don't see the correlation with that at all. I, I don't. And that's something where I just was kind of like, I, I don't understand that. Um, so Uper, is there any logical, I mean, does that make any sense at all or no? Am I just imagining that? That the, the, the Tigers were an, incre- an insanely good deal for the Illiches? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Yes, it makes a lot of sense. You know, I think the big thing they have going right now is with the television deals and the money that's coming in, they're making money. They can say, they can massage, anybody in any line of work can tell you they're losing money and they can massage the numbers to figure that out. And if they want to say they lost money in the pandemic year on a one-year thing, okay, uh, I'm not going to quibble too much. But on a given year, with the money that comes in and the ticket revenue that comes in, this is a cash cow. There's no question about that. And they have cut their payroll down to where it's where it is. It's very low. Um, it's good to be Chris Illich from a, a, a financial aspect of the Detroit Tigers. I will not believe that either of these teams is financial dead weight uh, on their sheet. The one thing that gets me is is sports teams, at least over the last 40 years, have probably been the single best investment anybody could ever make aside from maybe buying uh, a bunch of Bitcoin <laughs> like 15 years ago or Google stock in 1999 or something like that. I, we talked about it before George Steinbrenner bought the Yankees for like $7 million, I think. Yep. And, and he, I think they're worth 7 billion now, maybe. Yep. Um, it's just an, an insane amount of money. So yeah, it, I don't know. It's just, it's a completely apples to apple or oranges comparison, not apples to apples, the fun board game. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fun well, game. Once they brought in all the, you know, once they went to revenue sharing, uh, the incentive uh, to not lose went away for a lot of teams, you know, and so you got someone like Pittsburgh, you know, they got money coming in that's guaranteed no matter what. So they put this poor product on the field and sell it as rebuilding for X amount of years. They ran into their one little group that had a couple wild card years, but then they went back to losing. But the owner can be very comfortable knowing that there's going to be steady cash coming in uh, no matter what. And Detroit's in the same way. And, and what you mentioned before, they bought it for the equivalent of $160 million. What's he going to sell this team for if he ever does? 
1.2 billion. I don't know. Yeah, at least, yeah. I'm just yeah. making up a number, but it's going to be a big number. It's going to be a big ass number. <laughs> no, that's for sure. And then the other inside the number that's actually towards baseball is 208, 320, and 345, which is the Dodgers slash line as a team. And they're averaging 5.06 runs during this 4 and 13 stretch. Wow. Outside of the Tigers, they're the worst stretch of baseball right now, but they still have a run, one of the highest <laughs> run differentials out there. So they are, and another part of this stat too that's interesting the Dodgers are 33 for 149. 221 with runners in scoring position during the 17 games. Mm. So that is my, the inside number for those are my two inside numbers this week. And before we move on to the good to the bad, the ugly, the, the other part of the, uh, another number too, that stood out to me this week in terms of for stats, why Albert Pujols contract and the buyout for that. And I'm curious, do you guys think that, the Angels got their their money for they got their value with their Alba Pujols' contract. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, he's, I, he's been pretty bad for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I think he basically had one good year with the Angels. I'm looking at his his yeah. I'm looking right now. So he joined the Angels in 2012, and that year he hit 30 home runs, uh, hit 285. I guess, uh, let's see, 2015, he made an all-star team, but that's it. That was the only all-star time he made the all-star team with the Angels. And let's check out the war just for fun. Uh, so 86.6 war with the Card- or, yeah, the Cardinals in 11 years, 12.8 with the uh, Angels in 10 years. <laughs> so That says it all. Yeah, just not, it, it's, again, that's another one that, well, uh, they, it's tough. They, they didn't get the hitting the Cardinals got from them. They didn't get the base running the Cardinals got from them. They didn't get the defense the Cardinals got from them. So yeah, <laughs> they, and, paid and, him, they paid him more than the Cardinals paid him. So and it, but it's weird though because he still remained uh, productive in a, in a way that Cabrera has not. Yeah. Pujols stopped basically hitting for average, but continued to hit home runs. He hit he hit uh, was it uh, twenty three home runs two years ago in twenty nineteen. Um, you know, 30 home runs. Yeah, I mean, he was still hitting a handful of home runs every year. It just, it, it's not got it five this year. <laughs> yeah. He had six last year. Yeah. He's just not hitting for average anymore. And, uh, you know, not walking more than his strikes out anymore. And it is, it's a shame to see this because he was one of the best players I'd ever seen yep. <laughs> and, and one of the best right handed hitters of all time. And, it, you know, it just time, time comes for everybody. I, I remember reading about, uh, they're professional gamers, like professional video game players playing. Uh, what are they? What, what is the Starcraft? Starcraft players in like South Korea, and they're over the hill at like twenty one, because <laughs> because whatever is going on in their brain and their fingers, it, it's it's not. It's a millisecond slower than it was when they were nineteen or eighteen, and then it's just like you know, it's the same thing with baseball. It's just you know, physical aspects, and uh, yeah, it's tough to watch, but it happens to all of us. Yeah. So, but uh, anyway, I just wanted to bring that up real quick before we get to our next sub- next uh, our next segment. The good. Oh, that's good. The bad. Oh, that's bad. And the ugly. All right. There was a lot of 
I always say this every week, but there was a lot of good and bad ugly this week. But Chris, I'll let you lead off the good and bad and ugly. All right. So my good is Cedric Mullins, the center fielder for the Orioles this year. Uh, he's currently hitting 320, at least heading into tonight. I haven't checked to see what he's doing tonight. Hitting 320 with five home runs, three steals, and a 9% walk rate. Uh, it, it's really kind of a fun story because he's like this undersized switch hitter from Campbell University, the Camels, uh, who the Orioles took in the 13th round back in 2015. And he did eventually become like their eighth-ranked prospect, according to Baseball America. But he was never a stud or projected to do much. And he made his debut in 2018, and he struggled a lot in 2019. But he started showing some signs last year. And this year, yeah, he's he's uh, he's got a 155 weighted runs created plus, and he's ranked ninth in war by Fangraphs right now. And it's just kind of a cool, like, hey, you know, you keep keep working at it, and you can become a solid above-average position player. Now we'll see if he keeps it up all year, but his BABIP isn't too high, so – Maybe he can, and that'd be a you know a nice find for a team that's trying to rebuild. Um, my bad is the Detroit Tigers in March slash April. Mm-hmm. Now this was originally going to be my inside the number because I was I was looking up. And I'm like you know what what are the worst offensive starts from teams in my lifetime, meaning since 1980. And I looked it up, and guess what? By OPS, it's the 2003 Tigers. Uh, by batting average, it's the 2003 Tigers followed by the 2021 Tigers. <laughs> the 2003 Tigers had a 182 batting average as a team for for April, and this year get the, off our show. <laughs> this year, the Tigers hit 199 as a team, the second worst ever, at least in the last 40 years. Uh, the worst, the highest strikeout rate ever in April. This year's Tigers, 30.6 percent. Uh, so, I got a few names I like to call it. Exactly. So just a historically bad offense. Uh, it, we watched it and it felt like that. And we were right. Uh, it does seem to be picking up a little bit right now. And, and it, how could it not? But uh, yeah, so that was bad. I thought, and my ugly, and I, I sort of foreshadowed this the other day to you, Roger, I think was uh, our old friend, David Dahl. who's a definitely a guy I wanted the Tigers to go after when the, the Rockies DFA him. And then of course, Scott Bentley turned it into like this giant campaign. that was kind of funny. <laughs> Uh, and he started the season five for 10 with two doubles. First two games look great. Since then, he's 14 for 93. Hitting 150. Yeah, he's got two doubles and two homers. Uh, no steals, only four walks to 28 strikeouts. He's got a 52 WRC plus, And he's a negative defensive player to DRS and outs above average. So he, you know, right now by F war, he ranks 157 out of 159 qualified players. So yeah, it's been ugly for him. And, you know, a guy like that, I don't know if the, the Rangers, I mean, they're rebuilding too, so it behooves them to, I guess, give him time, but it wouldn't shock me if he keeps performing like this, that he's looking for another team again soon. Yuper, what's your good about ugly this week? All right, am I good? Um, it's a White Sox, but it's still, he's a fun guy for the White Sox to watch. I've been watching Michael Kopech. Every time mm. I've noticed he's on the mound, man, fun to watch. Now, they are kind of, they're spotting him where they, in, in nice situations, he's going through the lineup one time, basically. I think his high is 87 pitches, but he's averaging about 45. <laughs> Talk about impressive. I mean, that guy makes hitters look bad. Just straight up bad. Um, he's th- you know His four-seamer is averaging 96. Uh, he's basically throwing all four-seamer and slider. He's just mixing in the other stuff. Um, but he looks dominant. I mean, it's, it's just kind of a show to watch him out there right now. 
um that's kind of appointment television if you notice you're just looking on your phone and you happen to season the game you got to get there and take a look at that um got 34 k's in 20 innings uh his whip is you know 0.8 and i'm surprised it's that high to be honest i've never i hardly ever seen anybody get on base i, I watched him a lot so um i think the white Sox, if they can keep him healthy and they keep stretching him out uh the tigers got some trouble they're gonna see Kopech quite a bit the next couple of years uh and but again it's, it's just a good time to watch him uh bad he screwed it up a little bit for me today because he got a single uh, Francisco Lindor, after his first at bat today, was slugging, not batting average, he was under 200 at one point. Then he got a hit, now he's at 207. But he is just, the, the town is turning on him already in New York, which is sad to see. Um, but, you know, he, he, he kind of sank a little bit last year in the short season, and I wanted to give people a pass on last year. But now he's come out this year, and he looks brutal. Uh, I'm looking 163, 297, 207. Uh, he's walking at a high rate, his career high, 14%. So I guess he's got a good approach, but everything else is the power has just evaporated. And, you know, that was kind of his selling point as a shortstop with some pop. And, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see does he keep his tailspin going or does he uh, come around from that? Have you guys seen him play at all? I haven't watched him play, but I, it was funny. I was looking at his numbers just the other day too, because yeah, it's, yeah, I see on Twitter about people getting all upset with him. And, and so I looked at, I'm like, you know, there's, there's, if you look at it, there's kind of a downward trend going back from night 2019, even yeah. to where he was, you know, 2018, he was an MVP level player. I feel like he'll turn it around. He's still only 27, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I mean, I would be a little bit concerned if I were a Mets fan for sure. It has quite a way to start that massive contract. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I've only watched. Uh, I think it was a Sunday night. Ba- it was a Sunday night baseball game. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, I mean, they fired Chili Davis. They fired. They're trying to b- clean house a little bit, but I don't think it's. I don't know whose fault to blame. Again, like I said, it's either the the ball issue that we talked about, or just the lack of a routine, what have you. But I'm not really worried about it. It's still. I mean, what is it? They they say by Memorial Day or 40 games. Sparky Anderson would say. You know, plenty of time to turn it around. So. There is that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if, if he goes uh, 10 for 22 this week, his numbers look a lot better. You're right. Yeah. It's, it, you know, that's, and that's ironically enough, that's going to be part of my bad. So my good is Buster Posley, who has been, again, the San Francisco Giants somehow turn water into wine a lot of times. And I mean, this guy is 34 years old, but he's having some really good numbers right now. His XBA, a 328, he's slugging at a 637 clip, which is the highest of his career. And his uh, Woba is 500. Again, I know this is early season numbers, but still, you're talking about a guy here who's got seven home runs, bat 394, he's got OPS over 1,000, and he is in the high percentile in X-slugging, XBA, like I just mentioned. He's barreling it right. And it's just a guy who... Really, for a while, you weren't sure. I mean, the injuries aside, but Buster Posey is doing well. He's at a barrel rate of 10%. So some, he's doing something right. And part of the reason why the Giants have one of the best records in baseball right now. And you got to love that about him. My bad, and this is what you're talking about, Uper, is Mookie Betts, who went 0 for 6 for three strikeouts in yesterday. It was the fifth 0 for 6 game of his career, the first time since 2017. 
And it's only the second thir- career third strikeout game that he's had. And so far, his slash line in the year is 248, 358, and 410 in 2021. So, but he'll pick it up again. I think he will. And you had the who had the good for the Chicago White Sox? You did, right? Uber? Yeah, Kopech. Kopech. Well, my bad is Tony Larusa, or the ugly is Tony Larusa. <laughs> you did not know. So, in a game, <laughs> let me set this up for anybody who did not know about this. In Wednesday's game between the White Sox and the Reds, Larusa had previously had a hand made a double switch. So, made the fifth spot in the batting order that started, the run, that started off the 10th inning at second base. So, he it happened to be. Liam Hendricks because they're playing in Cincinnati. The rule states that if a player has made the last out as a pitcher, the team can select to have a player preceding the pitcher in the batting order. However, Larusa admitted after the game that he did not was not aware of the rule, and <laughs> Hendricks end up running the bases rather than Jose Abreu. What kind of dumb? I, I, it's a guy who has been progressively the smartest guy in the room. Is one of the smartest managers ever knew. The way he he reinvented the bullpen and all this stuff. How do you how did the coaches on your bench not know that? How does somebody go, hey Tony, before you make an ass out of yourself? Uh, that, that's the big thing. How does the whole bench not know? You're right. Mm-hmm. Oof, that's that's bad. Well, what I can tell you, I mean, I, I think that makes me think of Bo Porter when he was with the Astros a couple times. He got caught not knowing the rules, uh, which is probably why AJ Hinch probably succeeded him after that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Larusa. I mean, he, he's he's been out of the game. These are new rules. Um, I can see how he wouldn't know. It's inexcusable, but you can see why this has happened to him. And, you know, I hate to say it, he's a guy who enjoys a couple of cocktails, yes. uh, probably more than studying the rule book. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and then, you know, I always bring it back to what I do. I'm playing, I can tell you this for a fact. 88.5% of coaches don't know the freaking rules. <laughs> you know, I get, as an umpire, I get people in my face all the time. And in my mind, I'm just laughing like, you don't know the rule. So uh, I guess that goes all the way to the major leagues. <laughs> wow. Yeah. All right. I mean, I know there's a lot of rules. And I understand that. But something like that, if you're that's playing, bad. that's bad. The pitcher hurt unnecessarily. Yeah. And Hendricks, you know, he's 80, was it $80 million per year. Something like that? Yeah, a huge deal, yeah. I mean, who's the pitcher who hurt their foot the other year running? It was Darvish and then uh, the oh. other guy from Taiwan um, for the Yankees. Uh, wait, wh- was it Tanaka or Wong? No, no, no Wong. I was thinking Jin Wong. Mong? Yeah, the guy with the sinker, right? Yeah. yeah. He, he had that Liz Frank injury from running the bases. So, Well, know. I think I think Mark Pryor hurt – his shoulder originally from running the bases, it was a collision or something like that. Like that's how he originally got hurt. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, you can, you can laugh at La Russa, but that that's a, that's, it's a bad mistake. Yeah. yeah. So that was the, the good and bad and ugly for this week. And we got a bunch of questions and one of them I'm is trying ser- to segue for you. Seriously. Why is Alavila still employed? So um, I, I guess the best way to put it, Right here, I'll throw. I'll put him in here in the chat. That's from Ryan Sheedy. Uh, we we talk about it all the time, but Alavila was in charge of the teardown basically, and he traded away the best Tigers pitcher in my lifetime, Justin Verlander, and they're going to get basically nothing out of that deal. Yep. It, it appears, uh, and Ooh. traded away traded away JD Martinez. They're not getting anything out of that deal. 
trade away Justin Upton. They're probably not going to get anything out. Like he traded the best players on the team and, and he's not going to get anything. He's made some decent smaller moves since then, but that those were the moves you needed to hit on and, and he got nothing out of it. And it's, it's, I always call it the original sin of the Avila administration. It's, it's what's going to haunt him for the rest of his time. However much longer he has and fans are calling for him to get fired now pretty heartily, at least on Twitter, you know, Twitter's not necessarily the real world, but true. But I mean, Millen had what three years of making embarrassing mistakes, and then he was gone. Yeah, and this is where Avila is is uh, sheltered by the nature of baseball on the draft, where they've been able to. He's been there when they were. He started there. They had like the thirtieth ranked farm system, according to MLB Pipeline, that mm-hmm. that does these things, and and then they're all the way up to number two for this year. So they point to that and say, "Hey, look at this," but it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it really does. It like Ask they've got so. you can you can always sell hope. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but isn't that isn't that like I wanted to touch on that from what you guys were talking about earlier? Isn't that kind of what all teams in all sports do now? Now that it's so profitable, you can just be bad and keep people on that drug of hope and not have to actually do anything or pay anybody. Not not necessarily. I mean, you see some of that in in I guess in other. There are definitely some baseball teams that do that, 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 uh, I, but I don't even say they don't, they don't stay bad. They just operate with little money and, and get rid of their good players whenever they start to get expensive. But these other teams like Tampa, for example, or Cleveland or Oakland have developed ways to really get good players later in the draft in the international market and, they, you know, Tampa made the World Series last year. It was a strange year, but I think their payroll was probably, I don't know, 28th, 25th in baseball. I, I don't remember exactly. I'm wondering how long it will be until baseball, which I know is like the most conservative of all sports. I'm wondering how long it will be until they start adapting the NHL, NBA, NFL style, where it's like average age in the league has gone down by nearly a decade in the last three decades. And MLB seems to be like the last holdout of that era of like, well, players don't really get good till they're like 26 and then they're good until they're like 35. And then in the end of every league, it's like they're, they better be good by 24 and we're probably going to be done with them by the time they're 31. <laughs> well, so it, what's interesting is, is we may have seen the first step toward that this last, uh, last year when they, they contracted 30 plus teams in the minor leagues and what we've seen throughout the history of baseball is the really good players move very quickly. Yeah, there's a kid named Juan Soto for the Washington Nationals. He showed up when he was 19. He basically motored through the minors, and he's one of the best uh, hitters in Major League history, age 22 or whatever. And what we're going to find is teams are going to realize that you could move the best of the best players much more quickly, even if they're not tearing up the minors, you can get them to the majors earlier and they don't need to spend two or three or four years in the minors. And, and I think we might see that. I don't know if that will necessarily change because they're still there, particularly with pitchers. There are pitchers who continue to be very effective all the way up through their mid, even their late thirties. And I, I don't think that, I mean, not all of them, some of them, Verlander was still a Cy Young caliber pitcher when he was 38, I think, you know, and, uh, it's pretty rare. So I, I don't know if we'll see that, but I do think we might start seeing a lot more players debut younger over the next few years, just because the nature of getting rid of those, those teams, it's just going to kind of move up the development just because it has to. Well, and I think the other part of it too, is that it feels like 
this is an easy way if you're in a group of guys who want to stay billionaires to make more money is you pretend or you accentuate the youth of the game because those players cost less and mm-hmm. you don't get your Albert Pujols and your Miguel Cabrera's and your Troy Tulowitzki's or your Carlos Gonzalez or Go- is it Gonzalez? Like you don't get those $400 million contracts as much if you're at, you're accentuating 22 and 25 year olds versus 29 year olds. Yeah. And, and it, there's definitely an, an amount of selling the future. Like, uh, like you were saying, you, you can always sell hope, uh, but at a certain point, kind of the bill comes due, I guess, where, where you go, hey, you promised us a lot of hope and we got nothing. And and that was one of this other question we have right here. I don't know if you guys can see those. I post, I post them up in the private chat. So, yeah, Thomas Botford, Botsford asked, how has it gone so bad from the terrible 2019 to this? Did they overestimate certain players or is it just incompetence? Uh, I'm curious what you think, you. I think that... They wrote off an offseason, number one. They are not competing at the highest level for the highest talent. Uh, you know, we've talked about it before. You look at George Springer, a uh, player. I know he's been hurt a little bit this year already, but he's a very athletic guy, um, would have been a building block player to, to build around. They didn't even compete for him. JT Real Muto, same thing on the market this year. Maybe he wasn't going to move, but they didn't try um, they, you know, they didn't really find out what, what it would take to get them to Detroit and maybe never would have, but they're just not competing at the highest level in free agency. They keep saying they're going to, uh, but that to me is, you know, that's talk is cheap. Uh, let's see it happen. Uh, instead they're bringing in, you know, Wilson Ramos, the catcher who can't catch. And, uh, they're bringing in Robbie Grossman, who was going to take third strikes and draw walks and that's fine. But, uh, they have regressed from 2019 you know some of its minds didn't come on as quick as they hoped probably um but really they've just let the lineup die uh they haven't uh found any way to bring in uh core players who will be around for the next playoff team uh instead you know and i am all a big proponent of the rule five draft you need to add as much talent on the margins as you can but you know vic reyes playing as much as he has should not be happening at this stage. We should not be worried about Jacoby Jones anymore. He's had his chances. He gets hurt. He's not that good. Uh, but now he's, you know, he's the starting center fielder. So they're in the world of hurt. Uh, they're, they're a long way from winning. Uh, you know, you know, the 2003 Tigers were in the world series by 2006. I struggle to see how the 2021 Tigers would be in the world series by 2024, 2025. Uh, you know, you could, so much would have to go right without many things going wrong. Uh, that would be something to see if it happens. Wasn't that kind of the knock on Detroit pre-Dombrowski, though? Was that they never... I'm sorry, Roger. I just It, it's, it feels like they've looped right back to pre-Dombrowski era where it's like they can't land the big guy. They don't get the big guy. Well, it's just that they don't even compete for him. That's the thing. I mean, Dombrowski got Illich, Mike Illich, to compete uh, for the premium talent. They weren't as interested, you know, they, they, they got the second tier talent to fill out their roster, but they were competing for high-end talent. They swung for the fences. Uh, Pudge Rodriguez, Miguel Ordonez, players like that. Uh, it didn't work out, but hey, I give them credit. They went out and got Justin Upton. Uh, Prince Fielder, obviously, <laughs> that didn't work either, but 
you know, Mike Gillis wrote the check. It may have been a silly check, but he wrote it. He went for it. Uh, they don't have any of that mojo to them right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, if we go back to the the one question, why is Alavila still employed? I, I think because Chris Illich likes what yeah likes what he's doing. He, he's 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 a believer in the plan, and he's a believer in the future. It doesn't particularly care about the product right now. I, I, that's all I can think of. Uh, the only other thing is like, hey, firing a GM in the middle of the season is probably not going to do you much good. Yeah, because you're not going to find it. Uh, most likely, you're not going to find another permanent GM right now. Uh, maybe you can get an interim, but uh, so yeah. But I, I just, I don't know. I mean, Alavila got an extension two years ago, I think, right? Or maybe even yeah, yeah. less than that. So it was like, hey, yeah, this is this is all part of the plan. So I would love to know exactly. I'd love to have have them. Truth serum for Illich Avila. What is what is? Let's let's hear what this plan is. I wrapped up that piece the other day uh, at MCB, and my question was, Mr. Illich, how much are you watching this team, and you know how intimately does he see this product that he's putting on the field every night, uh, and 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 can he grasp how far away they are? I mean, th- this is this is really a bad dire situation. Uh, in terms of, you know, getting back on track because they're not close. Uh, they, they really aren't. They, they should be in uh, the number one draft pick again next year and probably the year after. Yeah, it's uh, – well, and, and I don't know. I, mean, I, I guess we talked a lot of big picture stuff, and we kind of harp on that a lot, but we can – we did get some more questions about smaller things that are, might be more interesting <laughs> just, just for the, in the now kind of distractions about what's actually going on in the field. Uh, and I'll post this one right real quick so you could see it. Uh, and it's from Kyle Walney, uh, who is a, a longtime listener and question asker, which we always appreciate. He said, I'm not sure if you guys plan on discussing it already, but I'm interested in your thoughts about using Michael Fulmer as a closer slash high leverage reliever for the rest of the year. I think his, his value his value as an above average starter is gone. Could still possibly offer good value as a closer. Uh, that's a fair idea. I mean, he did something the other night that you don't see very often. He started on he started on uh, Monday night and closed the game on Tuesday night. That was pretty cool, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, or excuse, Tuesday night and Wednesday night. You know, you when's the last time you ever saw that? When you looked at him come out to pitch to uh, close that game uh, on Wednesday. He looked pretty good. He was hitting 96. He was up in the zone. They couldn't catch up to it. Uh, it was pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, he probably he could be a reliever now, whether it's a closer, whether it's a two-inning guy. Uh, he certainly It certainly seems like he has more life uh, in, the, in the shorter outings. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. See, I... I thought he had that. He looked good in his one, his first start of the year. I think he went five innings. I was like, "Hey, this this could work." But yeah, and our, you know, our buddy Keenan has been pushing this for uh, months now. He wants uh, Fulmer in the bullpen, and you know, Raj was talking about even last year, talking about like, "Hey, wait, wait till next year, see if the velocity comes back." And uh, you know, through a couple games in spring training, I'm like, yeah, "It's not coming back." And then suddenly it came back. Uh, so he was right, but. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean, it seems right now the Tigers need Fulmer in the bullpen more than they need him in the rotation. The bullpen is just a shambles. Um, 
yeah, if they're going to put any kind of presentable product on the field, you know, getting three to six outs from him in the bullpen at the end of games and preserving the meager amount of wins that they might get might be helpful. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It's a, what do you think, Raj? You, uh, if you're going to go full tank mode, just don't use them at all. I mean, all jokes, but all jokes aside, they don't have an effective right-hander. Cisnero can't go out there every other night. And they could, I mean, we saw Matt Manning, who really doesn't have a grip on his curveball so far. It's one start, I understand that. But they really don't have another choice. Because if you look down there, Alex Lange, Alex Lange pitched good tonight. Funkhauser pitched not too badly, but it's a matter of Funkhauser being consistent. And I don't see that happening. So they, I'm, I'm okay with it. I really think that's something that, they have to do on a necessity because Fulmer, they saw something that he can't go more than three innings. And so right now at this stands, I mean, he went back to back, which was the first time since the first time ever a Tigers pitcher had done that with the official safe net. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We we had some fun. Yeah. We had some fun with Tigers PR calling us out or well, we called them out about it and they were stern with their answer, but. Well, they, I mean, they clarify it. So it was funny. Yeah. Cause we were looking. We were I, we were looking and we we're like, hey, Mickey Lulich did this in 1966, uh, and they said and they said according to Elias Sports Bureau, it's the first time a Tigers pitcher ever did it. And we we're like, uh, look at this, hey, look at this, uh, and, and Raj and I both did it. I think I, we both did it separately, and, and yeah. they answered both of us like, uh, you know, they say that saves saves don't count till 1969. So it was like, what? Uh, All right, I guess they don't exist before 1969. So. Uh, it was both real and not, but in any event, yeah, it was kind of an interesting thing to see. And uh, I suspect we will see him continue to work out of the bullpen. Yeah, as he uh, should. I've got a, uh, here's kind of a funny question here from Alkin Tiggs and Biggs. It was a, a new name to me. <laughs> I assume that's how it's pronounced. I, I apologize if I'm pr- mispronouncing that. I uh, said, when the Tigers got swept by the Yankees, Willie Castro liked Aaron Judge's post about the sweep. Just thought it was a bit weird. What's your thoughts on that? I don't know. First of all, I have no idea what this is like. I looked on Twitter and Aaron Judge hasn't tweeted since March. So it's not a Twitter post. Would Instagram, it be a Facebook maybe, thing? Or maybe Instagram? Maybe it is an Instagram. Yeah, I'm not I'm not on Instagram. And I also because I don't I don't think Willie Castro has a Twitter account. So maybe this is all Instagram stuff, which is uh, it's, uh, out, of, out of my realm. I don't know. If he did do that, that would be very odd. Uh, it would be I, very uh, was was it Miguel Cabrera that hung out with the White Sox? Oh yeah, with, he was drinking with the White Sox after a game uh, or something like that. Yeah, out boozing with Ozzy Guillen and yeah, yeah tearing up the Townsend. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I I don't have I I do have an Instagram, but I don't you know I don't use it very often. So I, I maybe I'll look at that. But yeah, that would be it would be very odd and very. Uh, I wouldn't feel great about it if Willie Castro was liking. Aaron Judge's tweet about a sweep, unless he and Aaron Judge just happen to be like best friends, which I don't think is the case. Uh, so, yeah. I, yeah, I didn't know if either if, if you guys had heard about that at all. No, I had not. So, uh, and then our last two questions are kind of about the minor leagues. So, which uh, you know just kicked off this week, and and is I think given a lot of Tigers fans just something. It's kind of a welcome distraction. Uh, so. The first one is from A. Perez, and he says he basically wants to know about any under-the-radar players in the Tiger system that might catch our eye this year. So I don't know. Who, who I, do you I, got, Raj? I, 
I was going to say, I think that one of the guys that you and I were talking about this separately, we talked about this on the podcast the other night, Kerry Carpenter, who was, again, Chris, so, I mean, we haven't we haven't talked about him because we haven't seen him at all. Yeah. But he made a jump from low A to double A, and he's starting in left field for the Seawolves. And, again, it could have been a mother of the bench of the necessity kind of thing where he was just thrown out there because of lack of outfielders. But I think he's a name to look out for. Is there's maybe He might be just a fourth outfielder. I'm not really sure, but. Either way, I thought that that was something to look out for to see how his progress does. I think uh, what we saw in Gio Arietta's spin rate. I know he's in low A right now, but um, I, I think that I think what the Tigers are going to have to do with him is make him a reliever. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they can have the they've they've shown that they can sequence guys a little better. But I think if they make him a pitcher, a, a, just strictly a reliever, and say here here's your role, and not do what they did with Andy Castro where they couldn't figure out his role. I think with Gio Arietta's stuff he could be a good mm-hmm. one two inning guy and I think that's a, a name to look out for too and the third guy I saw this week and I saw a lot of it too was from from the West Michigan side of things too was the um uh, Ray Rivera no I'm just joking uh, <laughs> oh <laughs> no no I'm just joking um in terms of, uh, no, well no Pack, Packard's a known guy so I mean I think Brian Packard's a well, known person you know so but I think his his stock his stock is going to continue to rise. But um, as far as the unknown guys, um, the what was it the the pitcher I was just talking about Mike uh, Brendan White. Oh yeah, who, yeah. The, who I did a scouting report for Prospects Live, and I think he's gonna he might be an Oregon, but mid ninety stuff. He had a he had a decent outing on his a second, it was I believe the second night. But I, I I like them, and I think that somebody who could, along with Zach Hass, make West Michigan's back end of the bullpen better. I mean, offensively speaking, they're struggling right now, but the bullpen has not been too shabby. Yeah, I mean, I, I like those names. It is one of those it, – it's kind of hard to know who is under the radar to regular people compared <laughs> to us who do – we did, what, 54 Tigers prospects, I think, for Prospects Live. So I, I think Packard could be an under-the-radar prospect to some people who aren't you know super deep into it i do like carrie carpenter is kind of fascinating to me and i wrote about him the other day and i said he could be that that random player you see every now and then who could immediately jump to double a but will never be any better than a double a player which it happens occasionally i remember a kid named will maddox was just you know he came out of uh, i don't remember where he came from but he was constantly hitting 300 or whatever and they got the double a and that was basically it for him Uh, but it is kind of interesting Vanderbilt. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it is kind of interesting to see anybody make that. We, we, we talked about Ryan Kreidler a lot, and, and that's another one like to us. He's not under the radar. We've been talking about it for a, a month or two now, but he was a fourth round pick in 2019. Wasn't he was the third infielder in a row that they took and not necessarily viewed as a you know future stud or anything like that. And then he performed, he got invited to spring training, performed well, did well at the alternate site, looks good so far in Erie. And he jumped, he, he spent most of his time in, in, you know, short season rookie ball or short season, a ball, I guess, uh, in 2019. So, yeah, I mean, that's an underrated guy who we could see in the next year. If, if he keeps playing, he had a home run tonight. Um, and then the other ones, I think Kater Montero, who again, not under the radar to us necessarily, but he was a guy who only pitched in short season ball in 2019, an international kid. who was just kind of an unknown. And he, he got the opening day start for West Michigan. He didn't last very long and he's probably a reliever down the road, but he showed 
you know, some flashes of a, a low 90s fastball up to 95, I think we saw, and his breaking ball could be an above average pitch. So those are just some interesting uh, guys to keep track of this year, I think. I don't know yeah, if you have anybody. For me, you... for me it's Packard. Um, I I really like the profile. Um, the big guy with some power. They don't have a ton of that in the in the system. Uh, three hits today, which was kind of cool to see. Um, you know, whether he's a first baseman or an outfielder, he probably end up being at first base. And people tend to downplay a first base prospect, but hey, you got to play one. You know, <laughs> so um, uh, he, he could end up being somebody who uh helps out the big league club at some point uh i want to watch him uh the other one is jack kenley uh mm. been a fan of his since uh, his college days uh second baseman also with a little bit of i think some power lurking uh from from you know when i used to watch him a little bit so uh um and then of course um uh de la cruz you know mm. uh, he had a, people tend to write off the rookie league numbers but at the same time, heck, the guy hit 11 home runs and like 200 and something at bats. That's worth watching. I'm not going to say he's going to, he's not going to be Barry Bonds. No one's saying that. But uh, if you hit 11 home runs in the fort in that rookie league, I am interested to see what you do from there. And then we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and we've talked about it before that, that some of the data that was trickling out about that was that he, he was posting up really impressive exit velocities. And we just saw from the game the other day at a couple 103 mile an hour uh, balls in play. We just got another question just now. Um, it's not the one I posted. I want to finish with that one, but this one was from, uh, from Tom Lacombe for, I hope that's how he pronounces his name, Lacombe. Uh, and this is interesting, Roger, because he said, if the tires were to fire Al Avila tomorrow, who are the replacement options? Something well, tells me there might, <laughs> there might be a video about that somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> well, Tom, you got to stay tuned for that because I started editing the audio video. So we're doing a YouTube series. Uh, we're doing two of them. We got one coming out tomorrow afternoon. And we're going to tell you to GM candidate. So I'm going to wait for that because I'm not going to spoil it for you. So, uh, but Tom, then, I know Tom's a good, faithful yeah. listener and he checks out both sites. So, Tom, thank you for support. You got yes. Harold Reynolds on the list, right? <laughs> no. uh harold castro no he, he also he did ask something we didn't talk about he asked would a new gm dismiss hench and fetter and i would say no no almost almost certainly not unless they like have like a history of bar fighting each other or something um, <laughs> uh and so the last question is from pseudo bread and he said are we even slightly concerned about spencer torkelson's slow start and alarming strikeout rate from the spring and the beginning of the minor league campaign um I, I I don't know if you guys want to comment. I've got some pretty strong thoughts about this, and I've actually I've talked about it for like a couple months now, I think, or at least uh, six weeks or so. But I don't know what what do you guys think? Are you worried? Three more K's tonight. Yeah. Look, <laughs> I, hear I know that I, I know no. I know I know uh, friend of the show Kean said that he wanted to see a hundred at bats, and and I get it. That that makes a lot of sense. You know, you want to see that kind of progress and everything and he had a single last night and that was great but i am slightly alarmed too there there a lot of his at bats he's not scoring up correctly meanwhile in new hampshire you know martin just doing he's batting 300 he's our one for four he's in double a he's not you know he's not in single high a he's he's uh, toronto gave him a a very challenging assignment as you know the eastern League is tough. Oh, you guys hear me? You were cutting out there for a little bit, but you were saying oh. the Eastern League was 
Okay. The Eastern League's tough. You know, Austin Martin's been able to handle it so far. And he's, I mean, he's three for 10, but that's, that's something. I mean, I don't know. Like it, I just see some of his at bats and they're very quick. And I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to freak out yet, but I'm, yeah. I'm almost like, you know how you press the red button? You have your hand right over the button. Kind mm-hmm. of like that's where my hand is right now. I'm just, just over the button right now. Well, I'm going to be interested to know. I want to hear more reports. Um, you know, is, is he just getting overmatched by fastballs? Uh, is he, uh, you know, uh, is he just having trouble with off-speed stuff? Uh, I answer that question real quick, Uper. It's all off-speed. A lot of Fort Wayne pitchers, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, it was a lot of, like, sliders, off, like, change-ups. Yeah, I, I, I've seen him flail at everything, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no, and, and, and to your point, Raj, the, uh, you know, uh, Trevor Huth was posting today about Jake Eater, uh, who was the Marlins' fourth-round pick last year he is in double a to start the year and he had 12 strikeouts in five innings today that's to go along with max meyer who's also in double a yeah who also had a really good start too correct i mean his first start was yes really good. now pitching is different obviously right here's but. the thing i always say this and we'll you know yeah we want more we more data more at bats we'll see where we are i don't like to judge people when they're at their worst and i don't like to judge people when they're at their best you know uh, obviously one for 27 in the spring and, uh, whatever he is now one for 11 with eight strikeouts, <laughs> uh, he's kind of at his worst, um, for whatever the reason, uh, but let him get into the groove of the season. You know, uh, it, it's ugly, but if we're still talking like this in late June, okay, then, then we really might have to, uh, uh, put up the bat signal for some help. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm with you, Uper. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna write him off yet. I'm not gonna do anything like that. It's just it's a little. It is kind of a cause of concern too, because if you if you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, spring, he's overmatched, but then he comes in and rakes, and you're like, okay, you can feel a little better about that. But uh, that's where I kind of, like I said, it, you you like to see some sort of like maybe hard hit balls, you know, like right to left field or something. But there's there's not even that. There's not even hard hit contact. And that to me is a little bit of a concern. I don't know about you, Chris, but that's that's where I'm like, okay, that's why I'm kind of like, eh. <laughs> so, I, I think I might be the low, uh, low man on the planet right now on Torkelson. I uh, and this is going back. I like. I feel I feel dumb because every scout on the planet and every evaluator said like, hey, this is one of the best college hitters in the last you know two decades. He looks great. He's fantastic. He's gonna hit. He's gonna hit for power. And I thought. So I've seen him now. I saw him a little bit in the summer camp last year, and I thought he looked okay. I thought Dylan Dingler looked better than him in, in the limited view. I was, you know, it's small samples, and I just thought Dingler looked more in control at the plate. Then we saw him in spring training, and I thought the same thing. And Dingler didn't look great, but it was the same thing. Like, Torkelson just didn't look right. And, and so far this year, it's the same. And I don't know. I don't like Spencer Torkelson's swing. And, and this is another thing where I don't. I'm not a swing mechanic or a super like, you know, I'm not part of hitting Twitter, but I, we talked about it before. It reminds me of the Mike Tyson uppercut. Like it's just this really, uh, I, I don't know. He looks off balance. He looks like his back foot is like slipping out of the way and it looks like the bat is not in the zone very long. And I, yeah, I've seen him, I've seen him swing and miss at average fastballs down the middle. 
I've seen him flail over the top of breaking balls. I've seen him miss changeups. It, like it doesn't. I was saying earlier, he does not look like the player who got the largest bonus in, in you know modern draft history. He looks like just using my eyes and not knowing he, who he is. He looks like I don't know, like a college senior sign who's overmatched at high A. And obviously, I mean. The, the, Tigers did their work on this guy. Everybody thought he was a top pick, so I just have to lean on that. But what I've seen from him so far is not good, and it, it is alarming to me because it, it's it's not that it's not good. It's it's incredibly bad. <laughs> it's, it's one for 12 with nine strikeouts in his first three games. It's uh, I mean, he's striking out like Akil Badu does at the majors, except – this is the number one overall pick, and he's doing this in high A. So, wait, wait, you know what? Who was it that, that he gets a comparison to? Paul Konerko, right? Yeah. Paul Konerko, Chris Bryant, Mark Teixeira. Like, you know, he's compared to these great hitters, and it's going to take him time. I, 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 I'm not willing. I'm like, I'm not burying him right now. I'm just saying what I've seen so far does not look good. So, Paul Konerko, for example, was, I mean, in Yakima at low A, and this is, I mean, it's his first season. He spent his first season in low A, hit 288. Was he, was he with Boston? Was he with Boston, correct. Yeah. Before he got traded to the Dodgers. No, no, he was, no, he was with the Dodgers. Dodgers. Gotcha, Dodgers. sorry. Yeah, yeah no, Dodgers. So then in high A, the second year, he had 277 and 19 home runs, and then he started kind of put it together after that a little bit before he got called up to LA uh, before he got traded. So the thing is, is that again, I'm gonna wait, wait till maybe June, July, see what happens, and if we're gonna we're gonna go see him next weekend. We're gonna be in West Michigan next weekend for the home opener, home opening, home opening series, and so I, from there we can get a better idea. But for now, I'm just I'm Chris. I'm just like just a little bit above you. I'm like ah, I'll wait a little bit. But Dingler, Dingler looks good, and him and Brian Packer both have looked really good. So far this season, and even uh, Andre Lipkus is getting the head out, or excuse me, he's getting yeah, he's getting the head of the bat out too as well. He's had a couple of hard hit balls, but it's the the top of the lineup like Parker Meadows. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> one two three, you're out. One two three, you're out. <laughs> it does. It, it looks a lot like uh, the Tigers looked late uh, lately. You know, Cruz and Meadows and Torkelson were all striking out multiple times per game, and that's the I, I don't. That's the illich plan. Yeah. It's a it's a it's still a it's still a very fun roster in terms of just like you know, I like the top eight hitters in the lineup. You're like, yeah, that's a prospect, that's a prospect, that's a prospect. It's it's a cool roster. I just and and I, I wrote about Torkelson the other day. I, I wrote that Chris Bryant, who's often compared to in his third professional game, went over. 